the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Today we are wrapping up the series that we've called New Normal. We've been talking about what is the new normal for a life that's 100% surrendered to Jesus. And so week one, we talked about this idea of giving away our life in service. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. And so the new normal for a life 100% surrendered to Jesus, it looks like giving your life away in service. Then we talked about living together in authentic Christ-centered community. And we talked about why life groups are such a big deal for us. Last week, Pastor Greg brought a great message on hearing God's voice part of living a life surrendered to Jesus is we are hearing God's voice speak to us through his word and through his spirit. And then today I want us to talk about this final thing in this series. I want to talk to you about what does it look like to, to, as a part of the new normal of a life surrendered to Jesus, what does it look like to live life with an open hand? What does it look like to live a life with an open hand of generosity? If you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Oh, good. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Paul says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I want to share with you really four things that happen when when we live a life with an open hand of generosity. Here's one thing. Living life with an open hand recognizes how blessed I am. So Paul starts off by saying, command those who are rich in this present world. And so our instinct is, is whenever we see someone talking about rich people, is to think it's talking about other people. And most people's instinct, if you do surveys where you'll kind of look at someone's actual income and then how they perceive themselves, whether they perceive themselves lower class, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, or upper class, people almost always tend, middle class people tend to think of themselves as lower middle class, upper middle class people tend to think of themselves as middle class, upper class people tend to think of themselves as upper middle class. We always tend to think we're a notch lower than we actually are. And so when Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world, I just want to clarify, in a world where half the people are living on less than $2 a day, he's definitely talking to us. If you, are, if you drive a car, he's definitely talking to you. If you're, not, if you're wondering where you're, what you're having for lunch or where you're going for lunch, not if you're having lunch, he's talking to you. And so those rich who are, and so here's this thing, when I live with an open hand of generosity, what happens is it gives me a recognition of what I have, what I've been given. He says, you command those who are rich in this present world, and so that we have to step back and say, that's definitely most of us. But it also is a recognition not just of what I have, but who it comes from. See, James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect 
gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Every good thing, every good gift, it comes from God. And so when I live with an open hand, I recognize how blessed I am. And what happens is it leads me to say, to kind of each of these things, we make a statement with our actions. And each of these things, there's a sense in which we're almost praying a prayer with our actions. And so when I live with an open hand, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, thank you. I recognize how much I've got. I recognize that I'm rich in this present world. I recognize how much I've got. And I also recognize the source of all the good things in my life. Uh, God knows our instinct is to, is to thank ourselves and how hard we've worked. But, but Deuteronomy 8.18 reminds us that it's even God that gives us those abilities. He says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce Wealth. And so living with an open hand, it recognizes how blessed I am and the, and the source of those blessings. It causes me to say, God, thank you. Here's the next thing. Living with an open hand frees me from wealth's destructive power. Here's the thing. Wealth is neither inherently good or inherently bad. It, it's, it, but wealth can be a blessing that's used for good, but it also does come with great risks with it. The rapper Biggie Smalls instructs us, mo money, mo problems. One of the only churches in America quoting the notorious B.I.G. today. But he was not wrong when he said, mo money, mo problems. In this passage in 1 Timothy that we started off reading, beginning in verse 17, Paul's actually building on what he says earlier in 1 Timothy 6. Let me show this to you. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Paul says it this way. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then he gives us one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. You might have heard the phrase that money is the root of all evil. Bible never says that. It says here, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's what he's saying. One of these great risks, one of these great destructive powers of wealth is there this risk where wealth can become a distraction from what really matters in life. And Paul says that. He says a lot of people, wealth and the pursuit of wealth, the desire for wealth, he says it actually creates a trap it plunges people into ruin and destruction. And so wealth, if we're not careful, wealth can, will become a distraction that ultimately leads to destruction. But what happens is when I'm living life with an open hand of generosity, it's really the greatest way to combat the destructive forces that wealth can bring in our life. Another, uh, here's a, I heard the pastor Mark Batterson, a guy in Washington, D.C., he said it this way. He said, I've not met a lot of people possessed by a demon, but I have met a lot of people possessed by their possessions. The thing of it is this, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with owning things. What's wrong is when money and things own us. And so the great test of our hearts, that, that, that living life with an open hand of generosity, it, it causes me to regularly ask the question about my, my money, my, my, my cars, my houses, my stuff. It, it, it's, it causes me to ask the question, would I be willing to give this up? 
And anything that you would not be willing to give up, you don't own it, it owns you. And, that's, and so that's one of the destructive powers of, of wealth in our life if we're not careful, but when we live life with an open hand of generosity, it's the greatest way to combat that. First Timothy 6, 17, it says, command those who are rich in this present world, we read it a minute ago, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See, another destructive force of wealth, if we're not careful, is wealth can cause me to confuse my self-worth with my net worth. And so what, what Paul here does is he's assuming most rich people are arrogant. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. He doesn't say, hey, command those few rich people. Most of them aren't, but some of them are. Some of those people could be. What he's saying is it's very easy when, when we're rich in this present world as 99% of us are, it, it's very easy for us to begin to think the fact that, that I have more wealth or possessions, it actually makes me better. The fact that I'm doing better financially actually makes me better. He says, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not, not to think that because you, you're doing better financially that you actually are better, not to look down on others, not to find your identity in this. He says, wealth can cause me to become arrogant. It can cause me to have haughty eyes, which is one of the things God hates, where I look down on others that because they have less, I think that they are less. And so it can, it can become this identity issue where, where, where I get my, tie my self-worth to my net worth, that because I have more, I am more, and therefore others must be less. And he says, you, you got to watch out for that. Wealth can become my source of security. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. See, what happens is, is what wealth can do. When I've got a bank account full of cash and the 401 is killing it, is I can begin to put my trust in money. Some of you begin to worry and get anxious when the bank balance goes down to a, a certain level and the 401 is going the wrong direction. And what Paul says is, command those who are rich in this present world not to place their hope in money. He says, because it's uncertain. And, and so what happens is wealth can become my source of security. Wealth can cause me to trust in money. And what that usually means is I'm trusting in myself. So if I'm trusting in my money, I'm really trusting in myself, which really means I'm not trusting in God, which is, I believe, why Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to go to heaven. But the way we are freed from wealth's destructive power in our life is to go through life living with an open hand to go through life giving generously. Because here's the thing, whenever we give in a meaningful way, and that's different for different people. Some people that, you know, you see the story of the widow's might in the Bible that she just gives a very small amount, but Jesus said because she had very little, her giving little was, was meaningful, it was a big deal. And so there's some people that giving $10 is, is meaningful, it's, it causes you to think about it, it causes you to affect it by saying yes to giving, you're saying no to something for yourself. And, and so for some people that's $10, others it's 100 others it's 1000 others people give away a million dollars and it wouldn't be meaningful giving and that it wouldn't be something that made them think and say, I'm going to give instead of have this for myself. And so, but whenever we give in a meaningful way, a way that we have to think about in a way that we feel, it causes me to really think about what really matters. Whenever we give in a meaningful way, it causes me to really think about what really matters and what it does is it invites God to do a procedure on my heart. See, when I give, what I'm really saying is I'm saying, God, please change me. 
Randy Alcorn and the treasure principle says it this way. He says, God uses giving to conform us to his image. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. He goes on to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's the third thing. When I live life with an open-handed generosity, it causes me to refocus my hope onto God. First Timothy 6, 17, we keep going to this verse. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So here's the thing. When I give, when I live life with an open, open hand, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, I trust you. Each week in this new normal series, we're hearing a story from our regular Life Church family. Check out the Eliasons on this video. Peter and I met actually on Match.com, which is just sort of like our, you know, oh, we're the 99.9% match. We're just so perfect. We should be the commercial. We never did that, but, but we're still perfect for each other. A little bit after we were married, we um, wanted to move into a house that we knew would support a, uh, a larger family because we knew we wanted to have kids and ultimately came to, uh, to South Reno. And uh, another thing of just looking back on it um, and God's faithfulness, I think a large part of why we moved to South Reno was to bring us to Life Church. Our giving journey really began around that time when we started attending. It was still in the um, auditorium at the high school. And uh, the Elevate Initiative campaign kind of started and they had showed us videos and like, you know, cool like schematics of like, here's the kids building and then here's where we're gonna have the gymatorium and worship. And so in my mind's eye, I could see that and thought like, oh, this is really a cool thing to be part of. We came together, prayed about it, and determined uh, what amount we want to give. Knowing that we wanted to take this leap of faith, we, we talked about, you know, what, what, makes, what makes sense for us. We prayed about it and ultimately um, came up with the, the direction we were going to go. What God kind of led us to do, and in our hearts, you know, it was a scary thing to take that step, um, but I think what God showed us in giving this amount that we kind of thought was unrealistic, uh, we never once thought after giving that amount, oh, I regret this. All of our needs were met, all of the bills were paid. Um, we had no problem where it was like, oh, I really, really missed that last little bit that I could have kept back for myself. Um, even now, even though there's not an Elevate initiative going on, we have chosen just to remain you know, giving that same amount that we started with. It's been a really cool process to see the church grow from um, meeting in a high school auditorium to having this really cool, like, state-of-the-art facility and really having a presence in our community in South Reno. It's not just, you know, a church building, but there's a school, kids come to that school. And so for me, having two young girls it's a legacy that we ourselves cannot create. This building will be here long after I'm gone, and knowing that other families with other little kids will get to see their children come up 
in the church and hopefully know the Lord as well. It's a really special feeling that we were part of that. So just seeing how Life Church is partnering with different ministries locally as well as internationally, uh, I just see God moving in the community and it's, uh, it's exciting to be a part of that. So for me, I think Life Church will always hold this special place in my heart because it's, it's where my husband came to faith and really has come into his own as like the spiritual leader of our family. He set such a good example for me and our girls, and that's a very, very special thing for me. It's so important to be good stewards of what we've been given, that it's so important to be generous, uh, that we just, we feel like we've, we have all the provision we need, and um, we're, even though we're, kind of feels like we're always in a, a tough season of whatever comes up, whether it's you know, going to the ER or, or whatever life throws at us, um, it just seems like we're, we're always taken care of. If I can trust God with my finances, I can trust him with anything in my life. See, when I live life with an open hand, I'm saying, God, I trust you. God, I am putting my hope in you. And, and really, God, God kind of takes it to a whole other level. And in Malachi chapter three, God's, God's saying, I, I want you to trust me, but he goes beyond that and says, I want you to test me. Let me show you this. It says, well, mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes, old English is for a tenth, and tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that their storehouse in this context be the temple, the place you worship, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Now, a couple of quick things before we wrap up. A lot of people spend a lot of time wrestling with, hey, that's, this is Old Testament law. Does it apply to Christians in the New Testament? And the answer I would give you is, I don't know, and I don't really care, because I don't think it really matters much, because, because here's the deal. What we see in the New Testament is the early church, you, you, every example of giving in the, in the early church went way far beyond that 10% number. They, they, there was this radical sacrificial generosity that, that they weren't paying any attention to this 10% thing. It was, and here's the thing, there's a basic principle of this, that grace never expects less than the law demands. And so when Jesus was talking about the life that his followers were going to live, it was never less than the law. It was always another level up. And so Jesus said, hey, you know, the Bible, the Old Testament said, love your neighbor. He says, my followers, you're not just going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to love the, the, the way I love you. And greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. He, he ups the ante. Jesus says, you, you've heard it said, don't murder. I said, don't even have anger in your heart for my followers. This is going to be the way they live. He ups the ante. He says, you've heard that, that it said, don't, don't commit adultery. I said, don't even have lust in your heart. He ups the ante. He ups it to, to the heart. And so for the Christian, it's never, do, do I have to give 10%? It's, it's really this, I, I get to give at that level and even at increasing levels, not because I have to, but because of, of the incredible blessings that, that God's given me. I believe it would be insane and cruel 
for God to have higher expectations on the poorest people, on people incredibly poor compared to our standard of living, that didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living inside of them, that didn't have the benefit of fully understanding God's incredible generosity for us and, and giving himself to die in our place. Why in the world would God have a lower expectation on us, the wealthiest people that have ever lived, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, have the full picture of the wonder of God's generosity to us in the gospel? It's, it, it would be insane. And so I, I think that 10% number is a great beginning spot, but, but really for New Testament Christianity, it's, it's really this thing of, of I've surrendered myself fully to Jesus. I'm living life with these open hands. And so let's keep reading. He says, test me in this. Only time in the whole Bible that God tells us to test him. So God here says, hey, trust me, place your hope in me, even test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will drop their fruit from before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you'll be in a delight. Listen, we don't give to get. The prosperity gospel is, is, a, is a tremendous falsehood that's, that's leading many people astray. But what is true is this, the, the law of the harvest, that, that you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap the same kind that you sow, and you reap later than you sow. And the Bible says, whoever sows generously will reap generously. We don't give to get. It's, 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 uh, but, but there is this law, that, that, but you can't outgive God at the same time. There is this tension. So God's saying, trust me, and he even goes beyond it and says, test me. So when I give, I'm saying, God, I trust you. My hope's in you. Here's the last thing. When I give, I'm making an eternal difference. Let me show you this. First Timothy 6, he says, command them to do good, verse 18, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And that way they will lay up treasure for themselves. He's kind of playing off Jesus's talk about treasure in heaven. Treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. He's talking about, uh, about eternity so that they may take hold of the life, eternal life. That is truly life. And so what Paul here is doing is he's saying, hey, command them not to place their hope in wealth. Command them to be, be generous, willing to share. And in doing so, they're laying up treasure in heaven, which I think is one of the more misunderstood concepts. I'll take a couple of minutes to unpack this treasure in heaven thing. We really get it beginning in Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says it this way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't try to get a bunch of money and stuff. Where moths and vermin destroy or moths and rust the story says that stuff doesn't last. And where thieves can break in and steal, people will take it from you. If not th thieves and criminals, then the government. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin don't destroy, thieves can't. He says it's treasure in heaven that lasts. And so what, what is our treasure in heaven? I, I believe it includes four or five things. First, the biggest treasure of heaven is a person. The treasure of heaven is Jesus. It's being with God face to face, no longer looking in a mirror dimly, but now we're face to face where our faith has become sight and, and we're experiencing that, 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 that intimate face to face connection with God that we were created to before sin entered into the world. And so that's the greatest treasure of heaven. Another treasure in heaven is heaven and then ultimately the new earth. It's a person, it's a place, but it also includes a couple other things. It looks like it also includes the potential for influence or power. The Bible talks about us ruling with Jesus. Let me read this to you. For Matthew 19. 
Jesus has just had this encounter with the rich young ruler. He says, and Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he fails the test, the test of do I own my possessions or do they own me, comes how would I respond if I lost them? How would I respond if I gave them? If, if, if I wouldn't be willing to give it up, then I don't own them, they own me. He fails the test. When the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful because he had a lot. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a word picture there. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? It's almost like they're thinking, I guess we're all screwed and going to hell. It's kind of what it seems like. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, which wasn't good enough for Peter. Then Peter said, see, we've left everything and followed you. What are we going to get? Jesus said, if I'm Jesus, I'm just like, shut up, Peter. Aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? Yes. Um, so truly, and, and, and uh, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, in the new earth, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will, who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We see other references to, to followers, faithful followers of Jesus having this, this ruling thing. I don't understand how it all works. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my sake, so we see some possessions in their houses and lands, for my sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first or many who are rich will be last or be poor and the last and so what we see is this thing is, is treasure in heaven, and it's a mystery. We won't know it all until it happens. But the biggest treasure is a person. It's God himself. Uh, the, there's this treasure of, of heaven and the new earth. But there also does seem to be this thing of influence and this, thing, and this aspect of, of possessions. He says, well, whoever's given up possessions on my sake will receive a hundredfold. Is that literal a hundred, or is it just will receive many times more? I don't know. But here's the thing. How do I get treasure in heaven? Here's the truth. The way the kingdom works is that what you give away, you keep forever, and that what you try to hold on to, you ultimately lose. Jesus said, if you ever really want to find life, give it up. If you, want to lose, if you end up losing your life, hold on to it tightly. Rick Warren says it this way. The way you store up treasure in heaven is by investing and getting people there. We see a little picture in Luke 16, verse 9, kind of a fuzzy little verse, but I think I understand what it means. He says, make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. He's like, use earthly money to make an eternal difference is the point here, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This idea is this, that when we use temporary things to make an eternal difference, we use our money for the sake of, of people meeting Jesus, what happens is when we give it that away, it quickly becomes immortal. It quickly becomes a permanent thing. A temporary thing becomes a forever thing when we invest it in eternal things. Randy Alcorn says it this way, whatever's given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Any Stephen King fans here? No, no shame, no judgment. Four honest people, Life Church. I'm not a big scary book or scary movie guy. I don't watch very many of them these days, but 20, 25 years ago, I, I, I enjoyed some Stephen King movies. Probably one of my favorite movies of all time back when I was less spiritual. And um, The Shining, Jack Nicholson, so epic in The Shining. 
And uh, any people saw The Shining that aren't ashamed of it? Thank you for your honesty. And, and uh, saw it like 20, 25 years ago, early in Claire and I's relationship. And to the point where now, whenever we go to a hotel and, and there's a long hallway, I'm like, Claire, you see those little girls on those tricycles? And it still scares her. I'm like, it's one of my favorite things about going to a hotel. And so uh, Stephen King, like 22 years ago, was in a, a life-threatening accident. He tweeted about it just a couple of years ago. He, June 19th, 1999, I got hit by a van while taking a walk. It's hit by this minivan. He ends up in a ditch, thought he was going to die, was in the hospital, thought he was going to lose his leg. He was speaking at a college commencement ceremony talks, and talks about it shortly after the accident. Here's what he says. He says, I found out what, quote, you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in the ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans, like a branch of a, to of a, of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral. By the way, probably the only church in America that quoted both Biggie Smalls and Stephen King today. Um... We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. It goes on, we come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett is going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Steve King, broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do good for others. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. Are you going through life living with open hands? I've never personally been arrested. But Pastor Greg tells me, <laughs> when you're getting arrested for something terrible, they say, come out with your hands up. It's the universal sign of surrender. But really what they really mean is come out with your hands up and open. You go out there with your fists clenched, they're thinking, what's he holding on to? What's he about to do? You're probably about to get tased. <laughs> but what real surrender looks like is it looks like hands up, the universal sign of surrender, and hands open, and I'm not holding on to anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate giver, that you're the giver of all good things. God, we thank you that you gave us life. Lord, we thank you that you give us the good things in this life. Lord, we thank you that that you loved us so much that even when we were living life on our own terms, doing our own thing, rebellion against you, 
that you still loved us so much that you gave yourself, gave Jesus to die in our place. So God, I pray that, that you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that as we, that would lead us to places of full surrender to you, that that would play out by a living life with open hands of generosity. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.